Merry, Merry Christmas, have a Christmas with glee. Here's a little toy, any girl or boy certainly would love to see. Merry, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas to who? Take a guess, yes, yes. Merry Christmas to you. Here is a baseball that grows itself. If you've been good this year, it may appear on your toy shelf. Do we have the data on what to get the Wookiee this year? He already has a comb, you know. Yes, we have finally computed the perfect gift. Here it is, a brush. Perfect. Merry Christmas to you. Here's a toy robot that goes to sleep. Can you believe the way he does it is by counting sheep? One sheep, two sheep, three sheep. Merry, Merry Christmas. Have a Christmas with glee. Have a little fun, eat a honey bun, decorate a Christmas tree. Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to who? Take a guess. Yes, yes. Merry Christmas to you. Here is a I think he put the costume on. Hey, did you tickle me? I did not tickle you. Well, you didn't do it, then who did? Yes, yes, Merry Christmas to you. Have another little guest. Yes, yes, Merry Christmas to you. Just one more guest. Yes, yes, Merry Christmas to you. And you're listening to CIA. ITR, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the human serviette, Henry Rollins Christmas special. You just heard right there from the worst Christmas album ever, some people are saying, from 1980, Merry, Merry Christmas, and the album is Christmas in the Stars, a Star Wars Christmas album. And today, some interviews that I have done with Henry Rollins. Plus, we're going to hear the entire side one of the Star Wars Christmas album album Christmas in the Stars possibly the worst album and that's the reason I'm playing it because it's the worst or really is it the best so right now to prepare you for Henry Rollins this is an interview that I did with Henry Rollins from 1998 almost well 21 years 22 years ago almost but prepare you for Henry Rollins to prepare you here is some beekeepers from Nikki Reynolds. Nikki provided me these tapes. There was a band called the Beekeepers from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, featuring Kevin Beasley of The Schmugglers. But this is a brand new band, and Nikki Reynolds has sent me, from Buffalo, New York, has sent me a whole bunch of cassettes, and we're going to hear right now a double shot of Beekeepers, and then an interview I did with Henry Rollins from 1998, and then an interview I did with Henry Rollins from 2011. 
So right now, here are the beekeepers. Thank you so much, Nikki. Thank you for sending me these cassettes. We're going to hear Ricky Hamilton and then Green Green by the beekeepers on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. Got a car and nothing else I care about The things I love have rotted away This Cleveland air will just remind me of my fears And I know that I'll go bitter if I stay So start up, there's nothing in my way Why stay here when I've tried it all a hundred times? Why stay here when no one loves me anyway? There's no time for back and backs or valedictions When there might be something waiting far away So turn the key, I'm driving to L.A. I know you. Oh, I see. You're a character now. No, I'm not a character. Actually, I ran into you in Los Angeles outside of the Guitar Center. I think you were returning a frame. You were in a Carmagia with a beautiful woman, and I saw you going to a frame shop on Sunset. Do you remember that at all? Was that the one where I punched the windshield out? No, you didn't punch the windshield, but you did jam on the dashboard. Yeah. Um, did you remember seeing me, or is that this, does that happen a lot of the times? No, that, that was the incident where... Uh, I punched the windshield because this person kept staring at me and I got frustrated and I actually broke that windshield and had to pay for it and put drop another one in. That was my friend Peggy. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry if I caused that to happen, but I was just like looking through the corner of the window. Yes, I know. I just was not, I was at Guitar Center and I did not expect to see, what, what were you getting framed there, Henry? Uh, I forget. It was a picture or something? Yeah. So what are you doing here? Like, I can see in Los Angeles, that's kind of like a freak show to meet you there in Los Angeles. But what are you doing here in Vancouver, in my town, Vancouver, B.C., Canada? I, uh, I came here to meet you. So, Henry, you're doing Welcome to Paradox. What is Welcome to Paradox all about? Isn't this show called Betaville? I think it's called Welcome to Paradox. Okay. Well, 
They offered me a nice part in this uh, one episode, and I looked at the script and liked it. And they said I could have the part, so I said, okay. This particular episode is titled All Our Sins Forgotten? Right. And do you realize that Ron Reyes lives in Vancouver? Yes. You know, one of the original Black Flag singers like yourself, and he's a born-again Christian. Well, we all end up something. But I thought that's kind of neat. All sins forgotten and Ron Ray's, and you're in Vancouver, B.C. You know, the way you can put it all together like that is just amazing, because I never would have been able to piece it together like that. Well, Henry, also, you were in the movie Johnny Na. Johnny Na. Johnny Mnemonic, written by William Gibson, a Canadian, who lives in Vancouver, B.C., Canada. Right. And in that movie, what did you play? I played a scientist. And what are you playing in this particular production? Scientist. And what have you played also? You've also played, co- it's either a cop or a scientist, isn't it? A scientist or a doctor, a lot, of, a lot of the roles? Cops and scientists and thugs. And in Vancouver, B.C., there was Rollins Trucks. There's Rollins Trucks. Why did you name yourself Rollins? It wasn't for Rollins Trucks at all, was it, Henry? Actually, it was. Rollins Trucks and Security Systems. Because I like mobility and I like security. Why do you think people think that you hate Vancouver or Winnipeg? You know, people think that you hate Vancouver or Winnipeg. Oh, because I used to very much. Because I would come here and you guys would be a shitty, spitting, heroin-shooting, equipment-stealing audience who we weren't allowed to kill. So after I got out of Black Flag and I didn't have to come here anymore, when I became the boss of the, of the system, I stopped coming here so I didn't have to get spat on and have my equipment ripped off by, by idiotic punk rock junkies. So I gave the city about seven years to cool off and came back and found it to be a very wonderful place. So it's no longer Drunkville to you? No. Because some of the media was quite harsh on you. I know it's the Vancouver, like, just, I picked this from a zine from 1985, and it's called the Black Flag Scorecard. And it was like a little scorecard here where it says, like, um, it was like the audience versus Black Flag. Middle fingers for punks, insults, objects thrown, mean faces, general ridicule. Like, they were kind of, ins- maybe Vancouver, was, is this, did this happen a lot? Like, do fanzines, you know, of the time kind of making fun of Black Flag gigs? Because I thought maybe this is what helped add to your Vancouver. For hatred. I never read any of the fanzines, really. So you never saw anything? There's no other black flag scorecards about then? Well, I've never even seen that photo. You know why I have my wrist wrapped up like that? No. That's from punching a guy. There's some little quotes you said from the stage. If I got a penny for each time you little boys beat off, I could, you know, I could buy this fucking country. Is that one of your lines, do you think? I don't know. And Henry, uh, Winnipeg, what do you, did you hate Winnipeg as well? Yeah, yeah, because the promoter ripped us off, and uh, we actually had to go to his house to get, his, get, to get paid, and also some of our equipment got ripped off, and at one point, uh, someone poured a beer into our soundboard, which we really... Did it have, like, a Madonna tape? Like, I heard somebody, like, p- stole your personal tape deck or pissed on it and had, like, a Madonna tape. I don't remember any of that. So it was going to the promoter's house and people, like, trying to destroy the equipment? Have you been to Winnipeg back? Like, have they survived the seven-year ban, Henry Rollins? I don't know, Nardwar. I can't remember. I'd have to look. But Edmi- I think so. Edmonton was pretty cool, wasn't it? Like, the two 7-Elevens across the street from each other? What can you say about that? Well, I'll go anywhere where the people are cool. But if the crowd's going to be a drag... Why should I return? You know, uh, uh, there's 
and, and you know, the Canadian, that those two Canadian cities were just a drag. I mean, the people were idiots. And, um, we're, you know, you're just lucky no one was hurt worse. I mean, the promoter, uh, McKeegan, he eventually got all four of his front teeth knocked out by another Canadian fellow who came to the aid of a band he was trying to rip off. So you had a, a you know, a, a fellow, uh, forget his name, very good guy, young man who knocked the guy's teeth out. It was cool, though, two 7-Elevens across the street. You wrote about that in Spin. I'll never forget that. Like in Edmonton, wasn't it? Yeah, that's great. How many more questions do you have? Oh, just a few. Uh, Henry, you have a brand new record out here. You have to hurry. You have a brand new record here. Really with, with, you have a really You have a brand new record here called War. You know, you do a version of War. Uh-huh. Now, who else does War? With me on the track? Well, um, DOA also do War, Vancouverites. Mm-hmm. Now, with the, with the song War, Chuck Biscuits, you know, being from Vancouver, there's legends that he played in DOA, Circle Jerks, and Black Flag in one night. Do you ever remember that happening, like playing in all three bands, Chuck doing that? Uh, not to my experience, no. What about Victoria? Do you remember playing Victoria? Sure. What do you remember about Victoria? My friend has a great picture of you playing there, putting your finger to your head. Um, I remember it being really nice. And uh, the best time was when we played with No Means No. And they were really good. And I think we stayed at the bass player's house after the show, and they fed us very nice, very well. And uh, I think that's maybe where I met Ron, was actually... Uh, Ron... Rays. Ron Rays. Mm-hmm. What about the Canadian subhumans? Do you remember them at all? Sure. I used to put them up at my house, my apartment, rather. Before I was in Black Flag, when I was living in D.C., I, uh, they were on tour with, a, with DOA. And uh, they all stayed on my floor for a couple of nights. Would you ever consider putting Chicks Dig It Up? You know, they have that song, Henry Rollins is No Fun. More Canadian content here with Henry Rollins. You're speaking to me, Nargord Human Serviette. Because they have that song, you know, Henry Rollins is No Fun. And they've been known to prank call social distortion using your name. Well, I think Mike Ness would know I'd never... Uh call him without a real reason, so um, that doesn't worry me. Well, apparently he's been fooled three times that it's you. Well, you know, maybe Mike will have to straighten me out someday in some parking lot somewhere in America. Have you had problems with that? You know, like people just trying to hassle you? Like, there's a new Xenel called Stone Grass, and they talk about this girl from Washington, D.C. that says she had sex with you and that your cock is shaped like a soup can. Like this, or, you know, another rumor, a soup can cock for Henry Rollins. Last girl I fucked in D.C. was this idiotic stripper chick who called herself Aura. But I fucked her really good, so I don't... Well, when you fuck somebody for 45 minutes straight without ejaculation, as he has in some of your books, I've what ne- sort of... I've never been able to do that. But I thought it went... 45 minutes? It went 45 minutes or 35 without ejaculation. Did I write that? Yeah, you did. Can you quote me on that? Um, somewhere in the book, and get in the van, they were talking about that. It was when you and Joe Cole were at this girl's house, and Joe Cole, in the morning, the girl left, and she had some sticky stuff in her hair. Oh, yeah, that's, that's when that girl, yeah, she all of a sudden got freaked out on me. It was the funniest thing, like, I, I ran into her again a few years ago, and she hit on me. I'm like, I remember you. No, we're not going there again. Yeah, I came in her hair and then went to the van and slept the rest of the time before we had to leave. What sort of girl are you looking for? Like, you would like Amy Mann, don't you? Amy Mann and Demanda Gallus. Like, when you played Black Flag, played in Vancouver a few years ago, Amy Mann opened. Why, why are you so stuck? How old are you? How old do you want me to be? How old are you? Well, for all intents and purposes, I'm whatever age you want me to be, Henry. But I'm just curious. In 19- are, you, are you able to tell me the truth, or...? I am 30 years old, born July 5th, 1968. So you're, you're 30. 
So One of the first gigs I remember, not going to, but hearing about was you guys playing at New York Theatre, and that same night, Amy Mann opened up for Rick Springfield. I went and saw the gig. So what sort of woman are you looking for? Is it Amy Mann, Amanda Gallus? Well, what my question to you is, why are you asking me about all this stuff from 13 years ago? Because we're just working up here. Because I was wondering, you only have like two more questions until we're done. So you got to make it good. So pick the next two questions you're going to do. Come up with them. So pick your two best shots. Because we're not going to sit here and, and, and jack off all day. Well, I, I was curious about Twink, actually, and the song Do It. Because uh-huh. Twink is, lives in Vancouver. The guy, he originally did the song. And I looked at your record. Twink the last time I was here. And I looked at the record, and there was no credit to Twink on the Texas Hotel release, Henry. Well, we uh, gave him their publishing. But I didn't notice it on the actual record. No, I really like the version. I like Twink's version. It says... Pink Fairies. Not on the one, not in the version I saw on the Texas Hotel, like, the, you know, this, well, this, this EP. It doesn't say Rollins. No, it, do, it doesn't say Rollins or it doesn't say Twink. It doesn't say anything, actually. Well, that's probably a typo, but on the real, on the legal documentation, it would say. Did you recently fire your band through email at all, Henry? No. Because I heard that you've hired a new band called Mother Superior. No, I'm doing, you know, remember, you're on your last question. Is that the one you want to ask? Um, no. Well, actually, how about we just run through this one here for a second. The Raw Power Master Tapes. We'll just, you know, see which one. How about we just throw them in? You can put this in my ball court for a second. How about I put this in yours? I'll put a whole bunch on the table, and you can pick the one you like. It can be like multiple choice, or Henry. How about that? Okay. Okay, here's the here's remaining question for Henry Rollins. Um, a fan gave you the Master Tapes for Iggy Pop's Raw Power. That, I think, was pretty bizarre. Which Sin Lizzy song do you like better? Running Back or more than, you know, why would you like Running Back more in Southbound? Um, in Punk planet you always talk about um how like you lived in a shed but you know greg Jin says it is the study i was one of curious about that we're curious about your soa demos if there's going to be released i was also curious curious about the best way to bulk up because the salad bars have now been like shut down in a lot of places because of the e coli poisoning and i was also wondering um, if you ever worked out with rocky erickson is all and i'm also wondering what new tattoos you've got henry and i'm also wondering if you get bigger if it's a possibility that you'll be able to get more tattoos actually on your body so those are the questions that are up there against Henry Rollins because you say I only have one question and maybe you can perhaps pick the ones that you enjoy most or I could recite them again to you Henry Rollins here in Vancouver, BC, Canada. Well, you know, I think you got a lot of energy and the fact that you you put all that together, I got to respect the effort. And I, it's power bar for you too. Uh, no thanks. Okay. But um, I respect the, that you put in all the time so I'll try and address some of it. The raw power tapes were stolen. And uh, we recovered them for Iggy in uh, Belgium through friends, and we returned the tape to New York and gave it back to Jim. A fan gave you the raw power tapes. That's wild. No, 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 no. They were in a studio, and we heard about it, and we were in Holland at the time, and we, uh, our guitar player uh, contacted a friend in Belgium who knew where the location of the tapes were, and we had someone bring them down. And uh, we blue-labeled them back to America. And we uh, gave them back to Iggy in New York because uh, we, you know, they shouldn't be stolen. They're his, you know. So they're with him. Uh, let's see, SOA demos. Nothing would ever happen with that stuff. I don't even know where those. Because they've been are. bootlegged. Some of them are bootleg out there. Sure. Well, let the bootleggers have it. Uh, Rocky Erickson. I couldn't work out with Rocky Erickson. No plans to get any more tattoos. 
Let's see. The Shed with Greg Ginn. Well, because it was in Punk Planet Zine, actually, right here, where you, you can, like, like, oh, sorry for touching you there, but um, right there it goes. Pretty close to the to the, the goodies there. It was, it was. I'm sorry. You're, you're, you're touching my soup can, buddy. I'm sorry about that, uh, Henry Rollins, but it said, it's it's constructed like a house. It used to be my father's study, study, Greg Jin says in his Punk Planet expose. Yeah, it's a, it's a small cubicle square. And it uh, was stacked up with Mr. Ginn's paintings and his manuscripts and uh, lots of books and his paintbrushes. And it had a, a door hinged to one of the walls that would fold down into a table with, that could be pushed back up again. And um, I just called it the shed, you know. But uh, it was just this kind of plaster, stucco, moist space. It's still there. So you, it is kind of study then? Yeah, it's like, you know, I, I just called it the shed. I never called it a tool shed or anything. But it was where Mr. Ginn used to sit and write, I guess, and do his paintings. And when I was working on the Ginn's house, me and Dee Boone were building a house for the Ginn's on Owasso Street. Uh, since I was doing so much construction work, they said, well, just, like, you can sleep in there because I have to walk to the to the site every day and work and then go to band practice. So I started living in that in that site, uh, in that in that shed or study, whatever, uh, in a sleeping bag underneath the desk. And I ended up living in there on and off for a couple of years. And it was, it was uh, I was the only one in Black Flag who had his own place to live. Everyone else would, like, sleep in the practice room. So I had it pretty good. What about the monks? Have they been deleted now from your label, Infinite Zero? Because some people at a record store tried to order it. Is, what's going on with the monks? It's the great German beat band, the monks, Americans. You put that on your label, which was one of the coolest things. Um, what happened to the record? Has it been deleted now? What's going on with your record label? Well, it's been deleted because Warner's dropped the label. But we're, you know, putting it, putting it, re-releasing it on another label. Do you think the Monk Silver come out as a movie? Because I heard it was optioned as a movie, and you'd be great in that movie, Henry, don't you think? I think you'd be really good in that movie, Nardwar. Maybe it's Gary Berger doing Monk Stomp or something like that? I, you know, I think you could play any one of those guys. You know, you have a certain charisma, which, that, which is undoubtable, you know, no doubt you have a, a lot of charisma. I like the character that you're playing. I like how you can turn it on and turn it off. It's cute. And uh, your closing question. Closing question. Fear. Were you there that night when they played in Saturday Night Live? Were, were, were you ever approached to do Saturday Night Live? You've been on the Dennis Miller show tons of times. Well, yes, actually. Because, um, like, how did Belushi... I was just curious, because, you know, using your knowledge, how did... You know, using your sit-in-my-face Stevie Nicks knowledge, like, how did, you know, Belushi hook up with fear? What kind of knowledge do I have? The Rotters. That was an allusion to the Rotters. You're not being disrespectful to me, are you? No, I was using the Rotters re record, Sit on My Face, Stevie Nicks, which Tom Holliston of No Means No actually knows one of the guys. He's a big fan of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do I get to answer the question, or do you, do you want to just talk? No, go ahead, Henry. You just interview yourself. Um, Bellucci lined up Fear and Black Flag to play on Saturday Night Live, and I was in Los Angeles working on the Damage record when... Uh, my friends from Washington went up there to uh, kind of disrupt the proceedings at SNL. And after Lorne Michaels saw what Fear did, they immediately canceled our slot on Saturday Night Live, so we never got a chance to go. But uh, Bellucci was a fan of ours, and uh, he was a big supporter of both bands, especially Fear, but he liked us too. And he tried to get us on there 
because he had a lot of pull there because he him being who he is but uh it was not to be and finally, Henry Rollins, what'd you like better? Boys Next Door, the movie by Penelope Ferris, or Boys Next Door, the band, starring Nick Cave? I prefer the band. All right, well, keep on rocking the free world, Henry. Anything else you'd like to add to the people out there at all? It was wonderful talking to you, and the next time we do an interview, I preferred if you flossed and brushed your teeth because your breath is really intense. Actually, I ate at McDonald's this morning. That's perhaps what's doing that. Thank you for thinking of Well, you like coffee, don't you? Does, does coffee help you poop at all? Henry, Henry, does coffee help you poop? I have no idea. Okay, and doot do do loot do. Henry, doot do do loot do.
Twink with Do It 1977. Do It 77 as, as covered by Henry Rollins. And before that, an interview with Henry Rollins from 1998. Coming up on an Ardwar to Human Serviette radio show, the Christmas edition, the Henry Rollins Christmas edition, we're going to hear right now a Wonder Woman Christmas. Yes, from the album Exciting Christmas Stories by Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, we're going to join in and hear some Wonder Woman talking about Christmas and trying to find St. Nick. And then an interview to culminate the Henry Rollins Christmas special with Henry Rollins from 2011, a raw, unedited interview. You may have seen the YouTube version, but this is an entirely different version with some extra time tapped on. You know, a lot of the same stuff is there, but some extra stuff is included. So right now, from 1977, here is Wonder Woman. And then an interview with Henry Rollins from 2011. Soon, Wonder Woman in her invisible plane is racing at incredible speed to her rendezvous with Doomsday on a remote island in the mid-Pacific. The ocean is so large and that island so small, but I must find it for the sake of children everywhere. Ah, that must be it. That atoll down there looks uninhabited. No buildings visible. Nothing but coral reefs and... Wonder Woman? Calling Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman here. Go ahead. On the inside rim of the coral reef, you will see a blinking light. Yes, I see it. It marks a camouflaged landing platform. You will land there. The platform will descend, carrying you to my subterranean command post. Bring the money and do not attempt to communicate with anyone. As Wonder Woman lands on the platform, it descends far below the surface and stops. A door opens, and she steps out into a brilliantly lit cavern, in the center of which stands... Brunhilde! I thought that voice was familiar. Wonder Woman, alias Diana Prince. I've been looking forward to this moment for a long time. There's no time for small talk. I've brought the money. Here it is. Now, turn your prisoner over to me, as per our agreement. Certainly. Come with me. Here we are. Von Richter, open the cell door. Yes, Majesty. As Wonder Woman steps inside to lead the prisoner out, the door slams shut behind her. <laughs> there you are. Company for the prisoner of Christmas Island. I should have expected a trick of some kind. In warfare there are no tricks, only tactics and strategy, and this Tactic has succeeded. You, as a prisoner, I really wanted, not that fat little man. Then why not release him? Let him ride tonight for the sake of little children everywhere. He will ride no more. From now on, there will be a new order, a new discipline, a new race. 
There will be no room for the sentimental claptrap and nonsense that he represents. And now we leave you. What are you going to do with us? Since even you cannot break through the indestructible metal this stell door is made of, I'll tell you. My command plane is in a hangar in the next room. Von Richter and I will board that plane. When we reach the surface and take off, the push of one button will destroy you and the fat one and this ridiculous little island. How nice. The push of a second button will release nuclear bombs from my satellites, which will destroy New York, London, and Moscow. The push of a third button... Well, what about the third button? If the United Nations do not surrender unconditionally and crown me queen of the world, I shall destroy every major city on Earth. And now, Wonder Woman, goodbye forever. But Brunhilde had forgotten the powers of Wonder Woman's magic tiara. Pounding the rock wall of the dungeon with a tiara, Wonder Woman cuts through it like butter, and the cell door to which it was attached falls off at a touch. There, we are free. Come, good friend, we must hurry. Running to the platform that had brought her down to the cavern, they board her invisible plane, and the platform rises to the surface just in time for them to see Brunhilde's plane take off. We must get off this island before she blows it up. Hurry, robot plane. Made it just in time. Gotta bring down that command plane now. Can't let her destroy the world's greatest cities. Maneuvering her speedy craft close to Brunhilde's plane, Wonder Woman hurls her magic lasso around the tail of a much larger plane, just as Brunhilde is gloating over the destruction of Christmas Island and the supposed demise of her most dangerous foe, and prepares to send the electronic command to the satellites to drop their bombs. Phase two has been completed, Von Richter. Wonder Woman is no more. Now we proceed to phase... What's wrong? We're heading straight down. Bring up the nose. Bring it up. I can't find the feet. Something's driven the tail controls. Forcing us down. We're going to crash. And as Wonder Woman watches the plane sink beneath the waves, suddenly she sees an extraordinary sight. A great white horse rising out of the water, carrying a Valkyrie. Like the legend of old, it's Brunhilde. Yes, it was the warrior maiden Brunhilde on her final journey to Valhalla, home of the fallen god heroes, never to return to Earth again. After notifying Washington of the necessity of disarming Brunhilde's orbiting satellites, Wonder Woman flies her companion back to his headquarters in the far north. We made it, and in time. Thank you, Wonder Woman, not just for what you have done for me, but for the children of the world. And at the stroke of midnight, once again we hear a familiar voice and a welcome sound as Santa rides again. On Vixen, on Prancer, on Rudolph, on Dancer, and Merry Christmas, Wonder Woman, and everyone, everywhere.
Who are you? Henry Rollins. Henry, welcome to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Thank you. Here you are doing something with Dinosaur Jr. Could you please explain? Well, the band will be playing their 1988 album, Bug, in its entirety, in sequence. And before they go out to do that, I will be interviewing them for 8 to 15 minutes. And I was thinking, Henry, you're here in Vancouver. I should give you a gift that relates to Dinosaur Jr. to help you with your presentation. You don't have to give me anything. You've given me so much over the years already. Well, I have something for you, Henry. It's Lou Barlow's 7-inch Lou Barlow & Friends released on a Vancouver label, Mint Records. Fantastic. Are you delving into any of this when you're doing stuff with Dinosaur Jr., like the solo stuff that goes on? Because Lou's done some great stuff, like he covers Brian Adams on this. No, I've been keeping it to Dinosaur Jr. material, just because they're, you know, they're together on stage. We do address solo pursuits, but only in the context of the chemistry of Dinosaur Jr., how about some of the rap stuff? Have you explored anything like the Judgment Day soundtrack where they did something with Dell, the funky homo sapien, like Dinosaur Jr. and rap? I don't think I've heard that track. They do that, and they also appeared on the Arsenio Hall show, too, with Mike Watt playing bass. I guess this is after Lou left. Are you exploring that at all? And like Mike D was on drums as well. No. I, I really try and keep the questions for all three of them in the context of that original lineup and the context of Bug. How has the reaction been going? So far, people have been very, very uh, tolerant of listening to Q&A when they probably really want to listen to music. Has this ever been done before? Like, it's quite unique. It's not unique having spoken word open up for rock and roll, but like an interview for rock and roll. I don't know. I've, I don't know if I've ever seen it, but they asked me. And I said, sure, because I like to see the band play. And usually when they're on tour, I'll see them three to four times per tour. So this is an opportunity for me to see them every night, which I do. What about in New York? There was some sort of reaction involving a shoe. Do you remember that at all, Henry? Has that happened at all? Uh, one young man with really good aim threw, I guess, both of his shoes. And they landed almost on top of each other, like horseshoes. And we all looked at them and... I think I made inquiry, you know, I said, whose shoes? And the young man raised his hand, and I said, well, um, you want them? He said, yeah. I said, well, we'll get them back to you later. And uh, his, he could apparently could not get back into the venue later, but his friend could. And so I gave the shoes back to his friend. Interesting, so you didn't actually see the gentleman that actually presented you with the shoe. Yeah, I did. He just seemed like some youth. I asked his friend, I, I, I tore the shoes into many pieces. Um, I asked the guy, well, what was your friend's motivation? Because we weren't being antagonistic and we're just sitting there, you know, on stools. And he said his friend thought it would be funny. Humor, you know, takes all kinds of uh, roots. Henry, did you ever see Deep Wound? That's like pre-Dinosaur Junior, right? Have you been talking about Deep Wound at all? Did Black Flag ever play with Deep Wound? To my knowledge, I've never seen Deep Wound. I've seen very early Dinosaur Junior shows, but I don't know if I've ever seen Deep Wound. We talk a little about that, just but basically in the context of Deep Wound disbanding and Dinosaur Junior forming. Well, I thought I'd give you another gift, Henry. And what we have here is the DOA Illustrated History. I don't know if Joey has given this to you at all. 
I don't know. And I thought it could help you, because if you open up to number one, check what we have here. This is Joey from DOA, Canadian Legends in Vancouver. What do we have on that poster right there? It's hard for me to read it. Deep Wound. And DOA. Aha. Together. Great. More Deep Wound material. Right. And also, Henry, if you turn to number two, which is kind of interesting here. Right. We see a poster for a gig, DOA and Black Flag playing together. And what's interesting is Chuck Biscuits is in that photo, in that picture. Right. From DOA. Well, not from DOA at that time, but another kind of Vancouver DOA connection. Right. There it is. And I was doing some investigation regarding that photo. I thought I saw that photo, that picture, on this particular photo that Bev Davies took, photographer Bev Davies. And I was thinking, we think that's the New York Theatre in Vancouver, B.C., Canada. I don't understand how we're going from Pettibone's drawing to this photo. Oh, Pettibone's drawing is actually in this photo on the far right. So I thought that might be the gig that this happened at. Where's Pettibone's photo? Where's Pettibone's drawing? It's kind of cropped out of there, but it was on the edge there. Ah. But then I looked again, and I noticed, I don't think that's Chuck on drums, is it? That looks like Bill Stevenson. It would be very early on for me. Some those surf trunks I lost very quickly. I bet you, eighty-two. This could be when. Wow, 82. I was thinking it was the Olympic Ballroom, but Bev says she wasn't there. Bev, who took the photo, said she wasn't there. So it was a Canadian show. She thinks it was in Vancouver, Canada, at the New York Theater. Because I'm trying to think of this lineup would have been 1983, when you had Chuck and uh, Bill Stevenson. Um, that's a good question. All I know is uh, it would be at least 82 or 83 and those trunks I never I never knew what happened to those but to see those two in the same band by late 1983 that lineup had ceased to be so I've never seen the photo before and I I I can only guess but I would say 83 is as to chronologically uh, this lineup with these two guys because he was kind of drummed out of the band and then in 1985, at the beginning, right before the Loose Nut Tour, Bill walked out. And that's how we got uh, another drummer, like, about 10 minutes before the tour started. It was an interesting gig, DOA. Also on the gig was 45 Grave. What can you tell the people about 45 Grave? Well, I can tell you that I saw Dinah Cancer just the other day at a premiere of a documentary in Los Angeles, and she looks good. And she's a nice gal. What was the documentary about? It's uh, something, Nardware, you might find interesting. It's called We Were Feared. It's coming out on screen soon. It's a documentary on the cuckoo's nest in Costa Mesa. And it shows uh, interviews with Black Flag members from back in the day. Later interviews with people like me and Keith Morris and uh, Tony Adolescent, members of TSOL, the crowd. And it shows footage of the first ever Black Flag show with me, which I did not know was actually filmed. And at the premiere, I was to speak at the panel, you know, uh, on the thing. And uh, Dinah Cancer, the singer of 45 Grave, was uh, there. And I had not seen her since the 80s. And uh, she, they were a good band. 
Paul Rossler, uh, Kira Rossler's brother, was in that band. A lot of people were in this band, I think. People came and moved. Paul Cutler was in this band. And Don Bowles? I don't know. Maybe. Because it's one of those bands where they there was people who was kind of moving through. And I asked her what she was doing, and she said that she was recording another 45 Grave record right now. Who that guy is, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is a long time ago. Henry Rollins, you're in Vancouver, Canada, but I thought I'd give you yet another gift from Victoria, B.C., the biography of the Dayglow Abortions. Mm. Do you ever remember those guys at all? Sure, of course. Did you do any gigs with them, or have you ever encountered them live? I think we either played that Western Front uh, in San Francisco, that Western Front Festival, well, you know, whatever it was, outdoors for sure. And I think we played with them at least there. And maybe we played a show either in Vancouver or out on the island with them. Because I just remember the singer doing a song where he kept screaming, my shit stinks over and over again. And I thought they were really good. And, and that's all I remember. It's a great book, and you actually learn that the singer Cretton later went on to develop the MP3. He helped develop the MP3. Well, hopefully it's uh, earned him a few meals. That's by Chris Walter. And this actually is a picture of the poster, the billboard outside a gig you played in Victoria with Black Flag, taken again by Bev Davies. Yeah, I bet that would be 1982 or 84. That's one of my favorite pictures ever that Bev has taken. I just love the... Were there a lot of banners like that put up outside your gigs? Sometimes, because they didn't... uh, Quite often, the venues were like... The The old age pensioners hall. Exactly. And in America, they have uh, the Eagles Club. You know, pensioners, basically. And quite often, the people who ran the place were not interested in the music. They wanted the money. And when they saw what was coming into their venue, these are very ancient men, very angry. And they would see the clientele, and they would get very hostile to the point of trying to pull the show. And we would have to calm them down and go, no, this is going to be fine. And, of course, it wasn't. The toilets would get wrecked, and it was a nightmare. And quite often, the local kid or someone putting on the show would come up with, like, three bed sheets and do something exactly like that. It's before venues were more, I don't know how to say it, professional or more conventional. You do shows like this, and sometimes the shows were put on by some kid with a fanzine who liked the band and who found SST's phone number and worked everything out with Chuck Dukowski, and you get to the venue and you realize he's got really nothing the city doesn't know about the show, and it's going to be a disaster, and usually it was. And that's why you ended up bringing your own PA in the end, right? So you had everything there. It was one of the reasons. The main reason was Greg Ginn really wanted to deliver the music the way he wanted the audience to hear it, which was very loud with a huge amount of low end. And that's why there's eight 18s on each side. But that was, that was Greg. You know, it's not like I had any decision power, but it was Greg Ginn. And uh, 84, 85, 86, uh, Black Flag took out the Rat sound system, three different versions, as Rat would build it between tours to the bigger specs that Greg, I guess, worked out. I was never in on those meetings. Bev went into the gig in Victoria, of course, and she took a photo. So there is you, Henry Rollins, in Victoria. That's 82, for sure. Not many tattoos. No. Uh, 83, I started working on that arm, I think. But 
this, I remember this because I had stopped cutting my hair in New Orleans. Uh, and that would ease, that's, that is definitely 1982. Because there, oh, there's Emil. And that seals it. He was our drummer for the 82 summer tour. Yeah, I've never seen that photo before. That's great. And the subhumans were playing on the bill as well. What can you tell the people about the subhumans from Vancouver, Canada? Um, one time they came out to Washington, D.C. to do some shows, and I actually put them up in my apartment. Was that where they played like a prom? Do you remember them playing some prom that turned into chaos? I don't remember, but I do remember they played a high school, and I think Jello Biafra was in town. Uh, I think the DOA guys were in town. I think they stayed in D.C., maybe at Ian's mother's house, Ian Mackay's mother's house. The subhuman stayed with me on my floor. There wasn't much room. And then uh, later in the week, Jello Biafra was camping out at my place and insisted on taking my small Sears and Roebuck bed. So I slept on the floor in my own apartment. And uh, when I joined Black Flag, there was multiple copies of this record because uh, they were one of uh, Black Flag's friends. And DOA and the subhumans were kind of our allies. They would come to town. They could stay with us. We would go to Vancouver. We would stay with them. And we had uh, quite a few bands that we were kind of allied with that we could depend on and they could depend on us. Now, what's interesting, that particular record was recorded in California and Grant, who runs Zulu Records in Vancouver, said he was roadieing for the subhumans at the time and he said the subhumans sang backups on Rise Above when Des was recording it and you were there in the room too. Do you remember that at all? Could the subhumans and Grant do background vocals on Rise Above? Well, Des never did the lead vocal on Rise Above. That was never in any of the demos. Um, that was the the first vocals done on that were with me. 1981, the band went into the studio and recorded Rise Above in Depression as a single. It never came out. Uh, and it's too bad, because my vocals weren't very good. But uh, Greg's guitar sound was really cool, and it was the two-guitar lineup. Later in the year... Uh, about five months later, the band recorded the song again for the Damaged album. And as far as I know, there's only one version of that. There are some songs on the Damaged album where there's two versions. Uh, for some reason, Greg just didn't like what we had done the first time. Um, maybe Rise Ab It very well could be Rise Above was one of those songs that we did twice. I know we did at least... Life of Pain, perhaps. Three, at least three songs were done two times. Rise Above could have very well been one of them. Needing group vocals, as many vocals as you can hurl in front of a microphone, Spot would have grabbed anyone around. Uh, Glenn Friedman. The and they were recording with Spot at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know Glenn Friedman, the photographer, he's on the TV party album just because he was there. We had him sing. Anyone in the studio when you need voices. So if the subhumans were in town and they were playing with us, sure, they could have been on. I have no memory of that at all, though. Henry Rollins, thanks for speaking to me in Ardware Human Serviette. My friend Mark told me about Black Flag. He said he learned how great Black Flag was from the song Jealous Again because Ken Chin, Chai Pig of SNFU said, you gotta go get that record. And then Mark told me, man, you gotta go get Jealous Again. Are you into it all, SNFU? I don't know how much I've heard of them. They've been around forever. 
but I'm not aware of their music. And I'm going to help you with that right now, Henry, because we have a documentary all about Chai Pig from SNFU for you, Henry Rollins. Wow, I appreciate that. This is a gift all about Chai Pig. And speaking of jealous again, I did send you a few years ago this calendar. I don't know, did you receive this calendar at all? Yeah, I think I did. And here we have on the cover, Ron Reyes in Vancouver, BC, Canada. Right, looks like someone's showering him with beer. And what I was going to ask you about is, this is another Bev Davies piece of artwork. If you could just open it right there. This is quite an amazing snapshot. I think one of the greatest black flag photos without you, Henry. What's going on there? Well, how would I know? I'm not there. But what should I say? What about that lineup? How long did you think it was before you ended up joining the band? Well, let's see. Chav had left the band or had been kicked out. And then Dez took over the vocals, and that would be a really early shot of those guys. And I don't know where they're standing in front of, but uh, it's a beautiful shot. I guess that would be uh, one of Black Flag's many trips up to Canada in those days. Yeah, it was a house, I think, on Victoria Avenue in Vancouver, B.C. Taken in Canada, that's one of the reasons I wouldn't recognize it. Yeah, I, I, I've seen the photo before, maybe in this calendar. And I think they use it as a promo shot because they liked it so much. It ended up like in Touch and Go magazine and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Just wondering, Henry, HR of Bad Brains, did he help David Lee Roth write a book? H HR of the Bad Brains? Yeah, I heard that HR helped out David Lee Roth with his book. Not that I know of. But you were involved with David Lee Roth's book? Yes. How did that happen? Dave called me, and he asked me if I would help him with an autobiography. How did he get your number? Just curious, Henry. Was that a shock did it call from, or had you known him before? No, I've known Dave since about 1983. And so he called me. He called my office. And then he got my New York number. I was living in New York at the time, and he called me at my apartment. And he was staying up the street, uptown. And so I, I went over and met up with him. And uh, what ended up about 18, 19 months later was crazy from the heat. Henry Rollins, when you're with SOA, where did you guys practice? Sometimes we would practice at Mike Hampton's parents' house or Wendell Blow's parents' house or Simon Jacobson's parents' house. And then when Simon left the band to go to school, we would practice at the vice president's house because the drummer, uh, Ivor, his father worked on the property. And we would walk right up to the gate, Secret Service. And you know, this is pre-9-11, pre-1811. -pre and we would walk in, and we wouldn't even have to sign in. They just recognized us as the sullen people with our punk rock look. And we would walk up to the vice president's mansion and make a left to a smaller place, which was Ivers, where I guess the caretaker would live, go down to the basement and practice there. And one time we even brought the necros there, so they wanted to watch us practice. And so those were the practice places that I'm aware of. I think maybe one time we practiced in Nathan's, Nathan Strachek of the Teen Idols. I think maybe we practiced in his basement one time just because it was available. In those days, yeah, we had no practice places, but we were playing at ridiculously low amounts of volume. So you could kind of get away with it for a little while before someone, usually a parent, would uh, come in and go, boys, it's a little loud. That's how amateur hour we were. 
Henry, there's that comic out there, Henry and Glenn Forever. You've seen that one, haven't you? I've only seen the cover, but I've never looked inside the pages. Because you're quoted on the back. It's about Henry Rollins and Glenn Danzig, and it says, quote, Has Glenn seen this? Trust me, he would not be impressed. Yeah, Glenn doesn't have... I, I don't think he has a real wide berth for humor. And something like that would really, I think, get him going. Where well, I, I, you know, I, I don't care. I believe in the First Amendment. But I think Glenn would not take it well. And so I, I venture to guess there. How would you describe it for people that haven't seen it all? Glenn and Henry forever. Like, you didn't see the whole thing. How would you describe it? Well, I can describe the cover. I think it's a drawing of Glenn and someone who looks like me on it. Am I rubbing Glenn's shoulders or something? I forget. I, 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 I sign it. People give me a copy to sign, and I, I uh, obediently sign the front cover, but I've never looked inside. I, I really don't feel the need. Henry, do you remember the last time we talked about 13 years ago? Uh-huh. What do you remember about that at all? Your breath stank. How is it today? It's much better. Thank you. For, thank you for flossing. I use mints. Excellent. Um... And you don't look a great deal different than you did then, in that you seem to be holding up marvelously. And I thought you were uh, a friendly but extremely ridiculous person who was wasting your life. So how have I done? Am I still wasting my life? It's really, you know, um, 13 years has given me a, a chance to travel the world and see many things, many countries, many continents. And at this point, I don't really think that I can really sit in judgment of anybody seeing what I've seen and failing and passing as I have. And so I say at this point to each his own, if this is the path you've carved out for yourself, it can't be any better or any worse than anything I've done for myself. Well, I appreciate you speaking to me because for the past 13 years, I've been trying to get another interview with you, Henry. I appreciate your interest. One thing that I do remember, particularly about that particular interview, was a photo I asked you about, again taken by Bev Davies, of you at the New York Theater. Mm. And you were describing something about how your hand had been wrapped up. It's not in that shot, but it was something about you punching a guy. What do you remember about that particular shot or that gig at all, or that era? Well, this hair length, I judge all this stuff by hair length. This would be 84. And I think that's the last time, I don't know if Black Flag played Vancouver past that. I mean, the hair would be 84, 85, or 86 as far as length. The shorts would be, well, those are just gym shorts I used to use. So Do you still have those, or did those shorts get lost? You mentioned your shorts getting lost. Lost in the, in the mists of time. Um, and obviously I had been sweating so I could take a, a flyer and stick it to myself. Or that it could be a fanzine. It looks like a fanzine. And maybe they said, hey, can you do a photo with our fanzine? And that's what I would have done. That looks like pre-show as far as my hair being wet. But past that, I don't... Uh, if it was a lighter exposure... Well, you see that? That road case? If that's ours, that might be 85 when Greg got some better gear and he actually got some road cases. So I don't know. but um, That's incredible. You can notice dates by road cases. Well, I just remember when we kind of got an upgrade in gear. Well, I guess I should think that's kind of obvious because you'd be carrying the road cases. You'd get to know them pretty well, wouldn't you? Yeah. We, carried, we were the road crew, and that would be stage right. That would be Greg's side of the stage. 
and that would look like a kind of shirt Greg would wear, the kind of button-up, utilitarian uh, TV repairman get-up. But uh, for when I look at photos of myself, I have to tell chronologically by either tattoo or hair length, because in 82 or 83, I kind of stopped cutting my hair. And so that would be 84, 85, or 86. And past that, there, there were times in my life, they're over now, where years would go by and my face would not really change. You know, when you're youthful. Now, not so much. Well, you're looking great. And the same thing about Chuck. He's doing really great, too. He has a new band, Blackface, right? As f- uh, the last thing Chuck told me about that was he asked me to listen to the recordings, and I did. And he asked me my opinion, and I told him. And then... This is Chuck Dukowski, in case people are wondering. Yeah, it's Chuck Dukowski. And I told him, I mean, I'm always honest with Chuck. And he said that Ian Mackay told him the exact same thing. And so he said, I said, so what's your next move with that? He said he was going to take a moment and reconsider all of it. If you heard something and you really liked it, would you ever think about stepping in and doing vocals? Do you think you could ever do vocals for Blackface? No, no, I don't want to do music. Chuck already asked me if I would play with him. And I like Chuck. I just don't want to do music. Would you do a couple gigs? Or what do you mean, like, he'd want to play with you? What sort of thing is he thinking about? Well, I think Chuck wants to get together and write songs and make a band and go out on the road. And, and I am real busy doing other stuff. And I just, for myself, I just don't see the point of uh, going out and doing any more music. Lastly, winding up your Henry Rollins, what can you tell the people about Alice Bagg's brand new book, Violence Girl? Uh, I read it cover to cover, and I uh, reviewed it for the LA Weekly, and I gave it a very nice review. She sent it to me. It's a great read. Uh, she's a good writer, and not only does she kind of tell the whole story about uh, you know punk rock, her era, which would be the ground floor of L.A. punk rock, but she talks a lot about her family and her very abusive father and her mother, who kind of did that traditional you know taking of the multiple beatings from this man. And she was one of those people who was there. You know, she was at the first ever Germs gig, and on and on. I think she was dating uh, one of the weirdos. And the stories are, you know, from the horse's mouth. And it's a great read. And I read it with great interest as soon as she sent it to me. She asked me, hey, would, can I send you my book? I said, please do. And she did. And I read it. And I uh, wrote a whole thing about it for the uh, LA Weekly. Did Black Flag ever play with the bags? Or did you ever see the bags? And I know you bought their seven inches, right? I had the vinyl. But to my knowledge, and maybe Black Flag played with the bags. But before I was in the band, by the time I got to California... I don't even think the Alice Bag Band was in existence anymore. I, I, when I, I got there in the summer of 1981, and I missed out on a lot of, you know, there's no more germs. I have never seen the weirdos. I saw a few of those bands, uh, the Alley Cats, Agent Orange, China White, Social Distortion. But as far as like the bands that played the mask, like Black Randy and the Metro Squad and all of that, no, I never. I, I saw Black Randy cross the street once in New York. He recognized, I was standing next to Chuck Dukowski, and he recognized Chuck and kind of gave him this psychotic nod and kept walking, and he looked really, really bad. I think he was dead pretty soon after that. Ron Rays, who lives in Vancouver, as I mentioned, showed a picture of him. He recently had his 50th birthday party. Did you hear about that? I did. And he had Greg come up, and they did a couple songs. That was pretty great. 
I hope so. Yeah, just curious. Do you think anything like that would happen at all for Black Flag again? Like you did the big thing with the West Memphis Three. Like Greg came up and did the thing with Ron for the 50th. And are you guys all in your 50s now? Like, do you think when you're 50, things all get patched up or are ready to rock? I am 50 years and like seven months old, eight months old. I was born in February, so uh, 50 point something years old I am. And I have no interest in delving back into that bit of past. And I don't think there's any age where things patch up. Uh, since Greg Ginn has never paid any member of Black Flag a royalty or given any member of Black Flag even a royalty statement, I think there's probably quite a bit of animosity between himself and some of the band members. There are some of these people who are owed money. If, if anything, they're at least owed an accounting. I mean, that's just good principle. Um, Ron wrote me and, and told me that he's not mad about it, but that's, and that's very big of him, but he's owed money. And so some of the people in the band are not doing all that well, from what I've been told, and some money that they are owed would be helpful. I'm very fortunate. I don't need the money. Uh, so I don't really have any real heat with it in that I'm trying to get on with things happening right now. As far as going back into time and reforming, that holds no interest for me whatsoever. Well, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it, Henry. I was wondering, could you give a shout-out to O from the Makeup Sex and all of Lawn and Fluff? Because he helped set up this entire interview, didn't he? O. Yeah, he, O asked me, would you do an interview with Nardwar? He really wants to do it. And I, and I thought of you, and, and I, I, I have nothing against you. Um, so I said, sure. So I guess uh, that's, and he, I guess he got on his cell phone and he, he contacted your people, your staff at your, at your compound, and we put the whole thing together. You brought in your, your camera crew and lit it up, and here we are. Yeah, and I guess I want to ask you a couple more quick things here, Henry. About the last interview that I did with you, do you remember at all the allusion to the soup can at all? No. Well, I guess you have to go back and review the tapes. But what it was an allusion to, it was an allusion to nudity. And what I was wondering about, I have heard that Honcho magazine in the 1970s and 80s paid money for punk rock singers to pose for them. Did you ever know about anything about, like that happening? Not to me. I've never heard of the magazine. Uh, I've never posed naked. And I don't know if... Uh, homosexuality is not of my interest as far as, you know, checking out the videos, the photos, or the activity. So uh, I have no idea about Honcho. I bet you if there's any punk rockers who are naked in Honcho, wouldn't we be able to find them on the Internet? Well, actually, I think they might be in that book about the Daigle abortions. I remember reading that in Chris Walter's book, so I guess you can read about it. Okay. But yeah, I guess, but would pictures of the Dayglows end up on the internet? Would pictures of Cretan, would people really be interested in that? Well, I guess so, eh? I don't know. I, I, I don't want to see him naked. Well, I hope you get a chance to read the book. Well, thank you. Because I really want you to have all these gifts and to help with some of your interviews you're doing with Dinosaur Jr. I, I'm, a, I'm a guy on the road, so you're now saddling me with all this weight that I have to carry over a border? Have you had some interesting border inspections this lastly here, Henry, like walking through the border? I once interviewed Johnny Rotten, and he told me the border guard that was frisking him had a mohawk. That was a very adroit subject change, Nardwar. Um, 
I've been detained at the Vancouver border for up to five hours at a time and not even allowed to go back onto the bus to get a book. And I have crossed borders in South America, Central Asia, Southeast Asia, all over the African continent, Middle East, conflict areas and areas of uh, peace. And one of the hardest, most consistently difficult border crossings is Vancouver from America and from Vancouver back into America, where with an American passport, you can still be met with a kind of this like sullen hostility to kind of go back into your own uh, warmongering country. Well, thanks so much for your time, Henry Rollins. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? No, thank you. Well, thanks so much, Henry. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Thank you. <laughs> An interview with Henry Rollins from 2011. And before that, an interview with Henry Rollins from 1998. Right now, to finish off the Henry Rollins Christmas special on the Nardwar to Human Survey radio show, I'm going to play something from Christmas in the Stars again, the Star Wars Christmas album from 1980, possibly the worst Star Wars record ever. The worst Christmas record ever. And that's why we're playing it on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. Christmas in the stars. Bells, bells, bells. The odds against Christmas. What you can get a Wookiee for Christmas when he already owns a comb. R2-D2, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And here we go. Right now on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Congrats! Oh, my stars, I've never been so busy before. It seems Christmas arrives sooner each year. What a merry Christmas this will be Christmas in the stars Out among the stars Lighting up a Christmas tree Come on everyone and sing Everyone will be delighted, even I am quite excited, getting ready for Christmas in the stars. <laughs> yes, Artu, of course it's terrific, but there's more. Everyone will have a cookie. I bought extra for the Wookiee. I just hope that everybody can be here. If they all have marked the date, and if none of them is late, we'll have our greatest of Christmases this year. Because he is wearing hover skates. Take those 
the toys not play with them. If they're not ready by Christmas, as Claus will be furious. I agree, Artu. We had better help them. Oh, perhaps Chewie can help too. Watch out, Carfine! Christmas in the stars, Christmas in the stars, what a merry Christmas this will be. Christmas in the stars, out among the stars, what a merry, merry Christmas, a very merry Christmas this will be. Silly friend is the sound of bells. What are bells? I cannot believe the question. It's like, what is indigestion? Not that bells and indigestion are the same. I cannot believe the query. To ask, what is Einstein's theory compared to what are bells seems almost tame. What is indigestion? Who is Einstein? R2, really? Before you ask me who is H.G. Wells, I will help your education with a simple explanation of... Bells. Bells? Bells! What was all that? All that was the verse. A verse always comes before the chorus. Kind and sort, bells to play and bells to sport, chiming what the hour is now. Or they'll lead you to a cow. I was afraid you'd ask what is a cow. Bells, 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 make such a merry sound. Bells, 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 when Christmas comes around. Bells, when snow begins to fall. Bells, when friends begin to call. Bells, when love is in your heart. Start in each and every land where peaceful harmony dwells. You will hear loud and clear the thunderous, wondrous sound of bells. Bells, 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 they're tiny and they're small. Bells, bells, bells are also ten feet tall. In your eyes, every color, every size, speaking languages with ease. In a breeze, they're Japanese. You know what Japanese are. Then you hear La 
What are the odds this time of year of getting a Christmas snow? A gift that pleases, a case of the sneezes, or a kiss neath a mistletoe? You doubt the odds against Christmas cards finding each friend on your list, or getting a box of oversized socks, but you don't stop to think about this. Christmas could have so easily been the day they invented the wheel, or the day Bad King John was so put upon that the Magna Carta was sealed. They could have discovered America on December the 25th, or snow could have fallen, or nothing at all, and we'd never have known what we missed. The odds against Christmas being Christmas are 365 to 1. Christmas, you see, could have easily never, ever begun. The odds against Christmas being Christmas, against love being born at all, were so very large that all of the rod should seem terribly, terribly small. You have to remember, when you're in December, that you're at the close of a year. What would you have done if time had run out before Christmas was here? I'd like to point out that the odds against adding an extra month are 92 million to three. You cannot put locks on all the clocks or chain Father Time to a tree. But whatever the odds this time of year, humans should never complain. Whether caught in the crush of a Christmas rush, or the snow, or the sleet, or the rain, Whole galaxies in distant worlds would change places with any of you because you have a day when love came to stay though it nearly didn't come true The odds against Christmas being Christmas are 365 to 1 bun, bun, Christmas you see could have easily never ever begun against Christmas being Christmas are 365 to 1. Couldn't we get him a call? 